It is 3 o'clock here at KPFA 94.1 FM in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. Please stay tuned for Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up. In darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Uh, today is October the 6th, 2015. And we want to thank you for your help keeping the store open here at KPFA. I hope we're selling hope. <laughs> I think, yes. I think, yes, I think. How can I hear myself think without KPFA? I call this a radical institution. I think we are doing something like they did in the dark ages, you know, surviving, uh, you know, keeping the store open, even when the shelves are kind of thin. Yes, there are so many good things happening, though. It's okay. Yes. And radio is thought traffic. Uh, I think of the media. Well, it's a central nervous system of the body politic, you know. Uh, oh, I worry so much about the thought police. Um, I guess, yes. I guess we're not the only ones, of course. Uh, I think we're the first. But I think of KPFA as the air that cares, we're in the groove to improve the American way in the world today. Enough of that nonsense. Enough of that nonsense. We do what we can. I guess the results of none of our, none of our business. I've been gone for two weeks and I have to say I'm awfully tired of all this political hash and all this hand wringing and, you know, whoa, there was a play I was in once. And somebody has a line, let's see, they say, oh, yes, tis Deirdre of the sorrows she should be called, for she's always grousing. Lately, I have to remind myself not to do that hand-wringing act. Uh, today, today, I want to do just a little story, story nonsense, uh, what have I got here? I'm not going to do all this stuff on abuse, right? Femicide is not a hygiene spray. The war on women driving me nuts. Dismiss that. Uh, the Pope dismissed that. He does his best. The Pope is cool. Uh, <laughs> anyway, the world is a rolling catastrophe. Uh, I guess, yes, 
I used to moan about the lurch to the right, and now I'm going to talk about the lurch to the light. Yes. I'm so old, I suffer from post-revolutionary angst. I'm one of those who, when I first came to KPFA, uh, my motto was that uh, aesthetics is the mother of ethics. If we tenderize people and give them enough poetry, you know, they won't go get that gun and blow everybody away. I think maybe, maybe I missed the boat. Uh, we know now that we have to study these human brains, see what it is about our species. Uh, we shoot ourselves in the foot. Never mind, uh, Yes, I'm looking at my poetry list here. Poetry, poetry, poetry. It says here that poetry is, at bottom, a criticism of life. That's Matthew Arnold. Ah, that's kind of grim. I say that the style is the substance, you know. It's how you say it. The Yes, the uh, manner is the message. Uh Somebody, a woman who writes books about poetry, she said poetry is thoughts, lightning, illumination. Well, well, well. Uh, somebody else said that poetry is news that stays news. I like that. I guess that means it's timeless. There's a poem somewhere that says, Time worships language. Every time I dig out one of the ancient texts, you know, I understand that this is the stuff that lasts. I mean, the pyramids are cool, but it is the words, the language that will stay with us forever. Uh, let's see, if I got any more poetry stuff, Wallace Stevens introduced the concept of the anti-poetic. Now, he called anti-poetic... That truth, that reality to which all of us are forever fleeing. Oh, well, could be, could be. Uh, now, Walt Whitman came along and destroyed 19th century verse forms. Gertrude Stein took an axe to syntax. I think, much as I loved him, I think T.S. Eliot was more interested in the gravity of import than in structure. I think of him as a philosopher more than a musician. Anyway, all the rest of my stuff here is about where the lyric impulse comes from and where it goes. In my time, in my, what is that, era, I kind of came around to the point of view that the best part of poetry is the music. The music is what carries, holds, penetrates the, the emotions is where we start. First we feel, then we think. I'm certainly learning about that for, for the first time in 80 years. Uh, it's people's feelings that have to be moved and then they can think about what's going down. Uh, in my day, I was going to say, in my youth, uh, I was hit between the eyes by Bob Dylan. I knew all the poets of the past, even T.S. Eliot. 
But it was Bob Dylan who turned my face around, face to the wall there, and I thought, okay, this is poetry of the masses, and it is certainly pop music lyrics. Leonard Cohen is the other one uh, who got through to me. He, I think of as a major poet. But they can't do it without the music. I used to use their poetry on paper, you know, uh, page a page, and I'd pass it out in a classroom. Well, uh, they didn't mind reading it, but they didn't get it until I, you know, played the tape. Uh, and, of course, I learned that poetry is what moves the masses. I guess, yes. <laughs> I looked around today and I saw Lady Gaga is going to be in something, uh, horror shows this weekend. I, I guess, I guess we have to keep trying. I, I made a note here. There's something I wanted to tell you about. Uh, there's a, uh, a show about women's trailblazing in the movies. It's on, Tuesday and Thursday nights at 8 o'clock, it's on Turner Classic Films, TC. Oh, no, Turner Classic Movies, TCM. Been watching it for years. Can't even remember the initials. Anyway, uh, the women started out, well, it started out with Greta Garbo, the goddess Garbo, and... Uh, then they talked on and on about all the women who were writers. Nobody knows. Nobody. Uh, well, of course we know. They're they're back there. But as always, the women got in on the ground floor. Early in the 20th century, you had women writers, women directors. They wrote most of the movies. That was when, you know, it was seat of your pants. You just went out there and did it. Just jumped in. Uh, what was it? Marie Dressler said, it's a cement mixer. Just jump in and round you go. Anyway, uh, so many of these women, I think of Ida Lupino, they start out as actors, then suddenly they have to direct. And sometimes they, uh, signed each other on as an actor and then let them do the writing. Anyway, as we know, as soon as the money started rolling in, as soon as there was big cash, the boys took over. And I guess ever since World War II, uh, it's the money that matters, the money that matters. Uh, anyway, that's on Tuesday and Thursday nights at 8 o'clock. That would be my, my pick for this week. I have here 20 other films and series and good things. It seems to me lately that... Oh... Uh, uh, the golden age of television is with us, and it's pretty terrific, and of course I watch HBO like crazy, but, 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 um, I have to say that it is that the uh, knockoffs, the uh, derivative shows coming, more and more of them, you know, for every masterpiece like Rome that was about 20, 23, uh, 23 hours, I think. They come up with another one, you know, with 50 hours. Well, Spartacus was the worst, but 
I try never to say anything is bad because somebody is bound to like it. But the truth is, uh, I wish they could, you know, synthesize it, let it gel until we had one or two really good things so that that hour or two we spend watching television is worth it instead of having to, you know, thread through all this stuff, put it through a sieve and try to come out with one cool thing. Uh, oh, shoot. I was going to talk about Downton Abbey and I was going to talk about, would you believe, Shirley MacLaine. She comes on in Downton Abbey. And uh, <laughs> never mind. I'll do that next time. Uh, I was reading her biography. In Downton Abbey, she does something that is not anathema, uh, but it is a little shocking. She tells the English aristocracy that they're, they're uh, old hat, you know. The ancient regime isn't worth the time of day. In Downton Abbey, she is the mother of the American woman who marries the English aristocrat and brings all the money over to the UK. Now, you know, uh, some of the writers did uh, talk about that. I'm thinking Edith Wharton, but mostly, mostly the Anglophiles I know still think of the Brits, the English, as our... Uh, Oh, not just our ancestors, but our superiors. Superiority is an English ailment. Actually, most of the time, I think so myself. But Shirley MacLaine says no. She says to Maggie Smith, who is the uh, dowager, the uh, ancient, <laughs> ancient matriarch in Hunton Abbey, that uh, her world has had it. It's very funny. Anyway, I was going to bring in Shirley MacLaine because there's a wonderful description. She goes to visit the Maasai and uh, uh, she discovers female genital mutilation. Once again, Jennifer, you've hit the wall. No more tragedy. I think I will just do something silly today. I picked up a book that was written years and years ago here, and I thought it would be fun uh, uh, just to tackle it. I wrote it about the time I was fired from being an English teacher in the Oakland Public Schools, and I thought I'd just look at it. If it gets boring, I'll pull out this handful of poems I've got here uh, in hopes that they are uppers, that they're full of ecstasy and joy. Anyway, here we go. This little piece, published in the late 70s, is titled, Now It Is Today. That's a Gertrude Stein line she used to say. An Irish lady can say that today is every day. In my story, the leading character is Teresa Timeless. That's me, of course. Uh, my two children are called Sam the Elder and Simon the Younger. Anyway, this story, be well, I'm cutting into the middle of it because it's too long anyway. I, Teresa Timeless, I was once upon a time an English teacher, but that was here in America, 
and so that could not be. It was around the time of the War of the Words, called by certain journalists, the Free Speech Movement. My students were black and blue. Nothing I knew about language or freedom was of any use to them. I admitted it. Oh, I took courses in African literature and history, and I hung out with the underground at Merritt College in Oakland before it was raped. But I was only a missionary. I thought I had the power and privilege of a white man and the compassion of a black woman. But I was a fossil, and a female fossil at that. Footnote here, I need to add, uh, time marches on, that Merritt College in Oakland was uh, <laughs> desecrated. They took the library first. It all went up into the hills. And uh, the, uh, what is it, the courageous revolutionaries in that college in the flatlands uh, went the way of history. Anyway. Here I am in the classroom, it says. In the classroom, I suggested we divide into groups. That was the fashion then. I suggested three groups. Martyrdom, sabotage, and those who stand and wait. The principal caught us. Nailed the desks to the floor facing front. He took down the posters and asked... Who was this Paul Robeson anyway? Called him Roberson. I don't know. Anyway, Paul Robeson, he didn't know uh, who that was. Anyway, the principal was a rather large black man who used to play for the Redskins or the Rednecks or one of those teams. He got a report from a student saying, I had used the word black in the classroom now. That was 1968. He told me that students were too young to understand. Then he heard one of my students talking about African heritage. He called me in to show me the reading scores of all the public schools in the United States. He showed me just how my students rated. After I slammed the door to his office, he said I was emotionally unstable. My students asked me, how come the black teachers didn't teach any of that uh, black poetry and stuff? And how come I was so interested in black culture? Did I want to be black? Oh, I tried to say the right thing. I said, uh, would that be wrong? They said, yes, that would be wrong. Uh the black teachers told me students, their students couldn't handle freedom, and my skirts were too short. Even the teachers' union, when I got called downtown to meet the man in the administration building. <laughs> yes, the union advisor on the way down in the car said, dress Republican. One day, Roosevelt Jefferson said to me, Hardy, what can you give me? Can you... Give me money. 
Roosevelt's right, of course. Money is all that matters if you haven't got any. After the revolution of 1969, I lurched into mysticism. I took a can of spray paint and wrote on the walls, on the walls, I wrote. To think you can be rich and not act rich is to think you can be blind and not act blind. I think that's Oscar Wilde. I'm not sure. Anyway, I had no money. After that, I got a small job typing for some psychiatrists, bughousers of the old school. The thing is... uh now I don't have to go to work until noon. That's the best thing. I mean, I might get up in the mornings if there was something going on, if I had a train to catch. A real train that was going somewhere. Time lag, perhaps time warp. You can't catch a jet plane like you can a freight train. I am slowing down a lot. I need a passion to get me going again, but now, always, I am tired without fatigue. Psychiatrists call this depression. I think it is not important what anyone calls it. It is here. It will not go away, and it is not just for me. It is the psychic depression of decadence which has come to this place and this time. It is what happens to people who ignore their artists and deny their children. It is a terminal case of involutional melancholia. I picked up that word working for the psychiatrists. I love it. <laughs> involutional melancholia, meaning, yes, <laughs> uh, they never would put a diagnosis those guys, they would put impression, <laughs> you know, paranoid skits, whatever, but impression they wrote. That way they weren't committed. Anyway, the melancholia comes from within, uh, cannot be cured from without by TV or psychotherapy or anything but a creative life, which is hard to come by in a country and uh, place where it doesn't pay to do anything for yourself. I, Teresa Timeless, know there is no time but political time. No life but political life. But I pretend that I can escape into subjective life. Build my own internal spiritual world. I have traded my sense of sin for a sense of drift, sign of the times. So, uh, after the uh, typewriting gig there, I take the BART, B-A-R-T, BART. They call our subways BART. <laughs> I go to the Café of the Golden Calf. I drink uh, these cappuccinos. Uh, I sit with the other time travelers. It's almost, almost time to wake up. 
On the wall is written the ballad of the golden calf. Orange trees in Eden give us this day our daily dread, terror in the waiting room. All of us jive time, all of us babes of the bath water, tangled in Ophelia's damn willow weeds. Warn to drown, listen, listen to her coffee house confession with those vine leaves in her hair. The dark was light enough for dreams. We crucified the royal opposition, put Alice on the throne face to face, darkly through the glass, face to face. Humpty Dumpty, not even capable of disillusion, falling, falling, bleeding on the blue prince. Blood-blown friend of Puff the Magic Dragon, lived by the sea. There is rain now in the faces of the people and their eyes like gunshot wounds. Mm, I'm doing it again. This goes on now here, all about what was happening to the Black Panthers, and it's just, it's too grim. I've done it again. Yes, I painted myself into the corner where I'm grieving. None of that, none of that. Uh, <laughs> yes, none of that stuff. I think, yes, at the end of this next page, I look out the window it's in the Café Mediterranean, of course. The spray can graffiti is written all over the storefront across the street. It's painted in red. The word is enjoy with about ten exclamation points. I guess the time has come when we have to tell, tell people to enjoy their lives. Right. Can't take it anymore. Let's see. I've got time. I wanted to read some Archie and Mehitable, my favorite cockroach, you know. But I think, instead of the roach, instead of the roach, I will read something that I think is funny. <laughs> funny, yes. Funny, funny, funny. She can't find the funny. So, I guess, yes. I guess... We're going to have to read Archie and Behitable. It's going to read this poem I wrote about everything's better with butter, but it's a little vulgar, I think. Is it a little vulgar? So I'll stick with Archie and Behitable. I'll bring the butter poem next time. Aha. Uh -huh. You remember Archie and Behitable? Uh, Robert House said we have to write more poetry that's fit for the newspapers and Long, long ago, when I was a little, little child, uh, there was a guy who wrote uh, poetry uh, for the newspapers, Chicago Sun-Times, and he wrote about a cockroach named Archie and a cat called Mahidabel. Archie was a reincarnated poet. He said that he believed in the theory of the transmigrations of souls and that uh, <laughs> he had come back as a roach. These poems got me through uh, some very, very 
bad scenes, I think. When I was a substitute school teacher, I had fun with these anyway. I asked the kids to be the cockroach in Mahitable. Here it is. Yes, the cockroach who had been to hell. <laughs> sure enough, I've run out of time. Anyway, the cockroach is surrounded by other insects who call him an atheist. I'm going to save that for next week. I'm putting it right on the top here. The cockroach who had been to hell. And he says, of course, that he knows it all. The story I was reading to you is from a book published long ago called Over by the Caves, written by Jennifer Stone. This has been Jennifer Stone, and I'll be back on the air next Tuesday at this time. Until then, go easy, and if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Here's another community-powered announcement from KPAA. You're invited. Invited to imagine a world that celebrates hope and renewal. A world of racial justice and healing. On Saturday, October 24th, World Trust, makers of the film Cracking the Codes, holds its annual fundraising gala. And Still We Rise, stories of movement and belonging. Presentations by Melanie Damore, Destiny Arts, The Embodiment Project, Shakti Butler, and a preview of World Trust's new film project, Justice and Healing. Saturday evening, October 24th at Sweets Ballroom in downtown Oakland. Information at 510-969-9837 or world-trust.org. That's world-trust.org. This is a benefit for World Trust Educational Services. You're invited to imagine and to celebrate.